0: Hi, and welcome to Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our
1: favorite musicians in search of honest answers.
2: What are the ingredients of a
1: great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed this episode we welcome a seasoned singer-songwriter who strikes the perfect balance between grit and tenderness.
2: Hey folks, my name is Joshua Riley.
1: Seven-shot revolver on my side,
3: loaded with lust and greed and pride, loaded with envy and anger too. So, I wouldn't have to work to have more than you, and I wouldn't have to work
1: if I wanted to. This Illinois born musician's tunes shed an intelligent light on topics ranging from blue collar struggles to some of the more unique corners of life, all through a lens that feels both refreshing and familiar.
0: Despite a bushy but controlled white beard and a totally shaved head, Josh has a youthfulness about him. He's friendly, sincere, and relatable. There's a balance to him too. He's excited by his craft and music, humble, but also exudes a kind of relaxed wisdom—the kind that comes from experience and necessity rather than intentional study. Yes,
3: and every day I do my part
0: to put another bullet in the heart. I met Josh for the first time at the first open mic night I ever did by myself. His beard was darker then, and he was yet to write some of the best songs you'll ever hear. Years later, I would cross paths with Josh again and help produce his record. Riley's first studio release, Mercy on the Strange, hit shelves in 2017 to rave reviews, and it landed him a spot at the coveted Dripping Springs Songwriters Festival outside of Austin, Texas. We hope you enjoy hearing about Josh's story and his songs. Where are you from?
2: I'm originally from Springfield, Illinois
0: how long did you live in illinois
2: uh spent 27 years there so you just moved yeah <laughs> now we've been down here uh going on 11 now okay yeah. and were you always in illinois
0: uh yeah and up until when we moved to florida yep so i obviously know you a little bit uh a lot of it i would say yeah um actually one of the uh one of the songs that you were playing the other day there was somebody else there that knew you. She mentioned that like the song came, or like somebody that was referencing the song came from like time living on a Christmas tree farm.
2: Oh, I did spend some time living on a Christmas tree farm, and yeah, there definitely were some songs that came out of that space because there was some close friends of mine that were also musicians that lived there, so we were doing a bit of writing it
0: back then. And how old were you when you were doing that?
2: Mid twenties, yeah, mid to, mid to late twenties.
0: And then, do I? I feel like you told me that you spent some time in Texas too, right?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, only uh, a recent trip for a songwriting um, songwriting festival I was involved with, uh, the Trippin' Spring Songwriter Festival, and um, I went down there when I was like twenty-one. Was the first time before then. And... That's
0: maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I feel like um, in the times you've been doing some writing, and I've been around to watch some of the songs come together. Uh, that you told me about I I wish I could remember the guy's name, but somebody who was a Texas based songwriter that was really, really great, but like never hit it, but a bunch of people knew him. Am I just making this up?
2: No, I don't think so. Um I don't know. I went to, when I went down there the first time, my friend Jason Eklund was recording an album with Gurf Morlicks. Oh yeah, Gurf. Yeah. So we uh he I rode down there with my good friend Tom Irwin. And he was uh, to play some bass on this album, so I I thought, well, I I need to see what Austin's like. So so was Gurf producing? Gurf, yeah, Gurf okay. was producing, engineering. It was all done in his home studio, which I believe um, a lot of Lucinda's early stuff came out of that same room. I got to go one day while while we were there, and the rest of the time I was with Roger, the uh, the homeless fiddle player from new orleans
1: oh roger the homeless fiddle right fiddle Everybody player, player. Everybody
0: yeah listening Everybody knows Roger. yeah
2: i mean we have we've all seen this guy uh so he was he was a guest of jason's that was up there uh while he was recording this and um i don't know what purpose he served uh to the recording project but he was there basically him and i we'd hung out during the day was he doing any fiddle play? He, yeah. Well, see, he was a street performer in New Orleans, so he would uh, we'd go out in the morning when these guys go to the studio. We'd go to downtown Austin and uh, on Guadalupe, and he'd pull out his fiddle in the morning and play it just long enough to where he had like three or five bucks uh, to get a little bottle of vodka, and he'd pour it into. Oh, I was just, gonna guess ham and eggs, but no, 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 no. <laughs> this is this was his entire diet, I think. So So he'd pour vodka into that, and then when that was gone, he'd pull the fiddle out again and get another three or five bucks and go into the liquor store.
0: That is industrious.
1: I think we all know that that route to fame. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he quite got to fame, but he did have some good songs.
0: So did you play on that at all?
2: I did not play on it at all. Nope. I was only in the studio the one day as a guest, just kind of checking it out and looking out over... The lake behind Gurf's house. It was, it was a pretty cool experience.
0: So let's go back to because we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we need to establish a base. Uh, so what was your upbringing like? What, what was your family like? What were your parents like? Like, is that where your music came from?
2: Uh, yeah, my we there was guitars around when I was a kid, just uh, for a short time, just floating around the house, and uh, we'd mess with them a little bit. My mom used to play a little bit. Um, one day my dad went <laughs> my dad went to the flea market and and they and sold all of them and so we then we didn't have any guitars. That's the opposite, yeah. Yeah, but then uh it all comes back around when I got grounded for for drinking uh at 14. Uh yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> and then I borrowed an uncle from my guitar and then it was it was all over from that. Did
0: you say bar You borrowed a guitar?
2: No, I uh, borrowed my gu- a guitar from my uncle, both, Mark.
0: Both very industrious still. Yes. Yeah.
2: And uh, that was it.
0: So you're stuck in your room playing?
2: Yeah, just, you know, I figured it was a, a good way to pass the time. Like, I uh, I spent time learning how to play Neil Young songs by ear, and <laughs> and it just it went from there.
0: So was your dad musical?
2: Nope. Nope, he loves music and he loves good songwriters, um, but he—the only song I've ever heard him sing is uh, "Out in the West Texas Town of El Paso," <laughs> and and it was only maybe the first couple of lines. <laughs> uh-huh. until, until he passed <laughs> out? No, he just wandered through the living room one day and I heard him do it.
1: What about Uncle Mark? What, uh, the,
2: now, he, no, he—I uh, never heard him do anything. Uh, some of my mom's brothers. Uh, were in bands and singers, so that there was music in the the family. Everybody likes to sing, so.
0: And so, were they playing a lot of music? Like, what did your parents listen to?
2: Uh, They listened to a lot of, like, John Prine, and a lot of, uh, my mom liked Harry Nielsen a lot, so we listened to him a lot, and Harry Chapin, Okay, which, you know, he's... He's an interesting songwriter in his own right. He's written some really.
1: On re- the cats in the cradle and yeah, the, mm-hmm. the most famous one there.
2: <laughs> He's, he goes out. He goes out there on a limb sometimes too. Though. He's got some some strange songs, which is cool.
0: So, what kind of kid were you? Were you? It sounds like you were grounded at least this one time. Were you a good kid or a bad kid? Were oh, you, I was. Uh, were you into sports.
2: I was definitely not into sports. Horrible as sports. I was on three teams of three different sports at three different times in my early childhood, and not at any time did I have any idea what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just standing there like, don't give me the ball. Don't give me the ball.
0: That sounds like bad coaching.
2: Yeah, like, or just, yeah. It wasn't your fault. It, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. let's blame it on that. In them. case
0: no one's ever told you before, <laughs> Josh, it wasn't. it's not your fault. Quit, you right. can quit
1: beating yourself up about that. Yeah,
2: so, just, no, sports was never a thing. I mean, yeah, I like to watch sports and... and but only to a certain degree.
0: So, you're sitting in your room, you listen to Neil Young trying to figure it out on the guitar because you have nothing else to do. Right. Uh, one can only play with themselves for so long. Yeah. Uh, did, when did you start writing? Like, when did it occur to you, like, I'm going to write my own song?
2: Um, I started writing songs probably when I was around 16 years old or so. Starting writing songs and, and parodies to songs and whatever. Stuff to make my friends laugh and... Instrumental thing so just the creative, the creative bone kind of hit around then.
0: Were, were you kid sitting around thinking about what you wanted to be doing, like like visions of grandeur on stage, or
2: yeah, uh, not really. Just uh, at that point, I think I just wanted to come up with something that my friend could play some lead guitar on, and we just uh, would jam. You know, that was it. That was it. I hadn't really thought that far ahead. So uh, as far as Seeing myself on a big marquee somewhere or anything, but
0: or you know, Dripping Springs Songwriters Music Festival, right? Festival.
2: How
1: about a band? Did you ever go to Bass and Drums and
2: yeah? Full, uh, 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 when when we were in high school, we had I mean, nothing that was super serious, but we uh, we had you know, we had drums, and we had bass, and everything in in the jam room, and then uh, yeah, I was in um, some bands early on, uh, but. Actually, the 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 first band that was like semi serious was a band called Winebox, and that was in Springfield, Illinois, uh, with my friend Jordan Lair, who's going to be playing with me at Wigfest, coming up here. He's been doing some Florida dates with me now that he's living in Cape Coral. Is he
0: the uh, pedal steel player?
2: Yes, the pedal steel player, and then um, I've seen it. He's excellent. Yeah, he's a good guy. And then my friend Matt Miner, who's going to pass away, but he was him and I both had uh, acoustic guitars, and Jordan played went back and forth between the pedal steel and. Uh, upright bass. Did
0: you guys last a while?
2: Uh, no, it was a it was a short lived experience, maybe year and a half, two years. Um and
0: were you like you were gigging out?
2: We were. We didn't have to really look for gigs too much because um, my brother was running a club called the Underground City Tavern, and it was the best place to play because it was a perfect stop between bands coming from St. Louis to Chicago or vice versa, and uh, he'd pick up. Awesome bands a lot, so we get to open for people there and 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 see a lot of great acts. So that was that was as far as we needed to go. So nepotism is around here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take advantage of anything you can. Absolutely, you know?
0: it's who you know. Yeah, we're right, who you were raised with, I guess. In this case, nope. Yep. So, what else did you do for work? Were you were you just gigging the whole time, or did you have jobs growing up?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I have always had jobs. I that's when you're in the Midwest, you've got like. I mean, I had I don't know, three or four jobs at one point at at the same time. Just work all the time is what I was doing. So. Were,
0: were any of them miserable jobs?
2: Uh, not super miserable, but I mean Were they, were they mostly I,
1: corn related?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, so, I think you t- it would tie into everything.
1: Corn and snow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I could tie corn into every job I ever had probably. My first job, mo- movie theater, popping popcorn. Popcorn. See? <laughs> Fresh. Then I worked uh I worked at a the the butcher shop, you know, the meat plant there in town. Pigs. Yeah, hogs. Pig corn. hogs. Yep. They're corn fed. Mm-hmm. Deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll find you'll find corn in there.
4: <laughs> you find
0: corn mostly anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So when, so what brought you to Florida? What uh, what got you out of Illinois and down here?
2: Uh just you know, uh, when I got married, uh Shay Shay's uh disdain for cold weather had finally sunk in and we were like all right let's go try something new Mm -hmm. and so we loaded up and headed down here and yeah it's ended up to be a really good move
0: we should mention too that shay is here photographing the session she's a talented photographer uh so if you hear someone yell bs loudly from the background uh, at anything josh (laughs) says that's likely her
1: she's the bs meter on josh here tonight
0: so so, okay, so you get down to Florida, and then are you, like, you're still writing songs? Are you are you pursuing it?
2: I hadn't, no. I hadn't been writing uh, towards the end uh, of my time in Illinois, and then when we got here, I was, you know, uh, doing a lot of cover gigs and stuff like that, so uh, it got to the point where I was so busy doing that that I, I wasn't playing guitar for anything else. I wasn't playing guitar at home. I wasn't, I didn't want to learn a new song. I didn't want to write a new song. I was just like, I'm not playing because I just did two, four hour gigs yesterday. So it paid, you know, well enough for a long time. And then it just got to be where music was a chore. And that's not what I wanted it to See,
0: be. That's, that's an interesting thing. I've had a few people ask me recently as we're launching this podcast, you know, like, Oh man, like you're talking to these songwriters. Is it, you're like, you're, you know, you're still playing out. Do you want to go on tour? Like, is that what you want to do? And sometimes my answer is, I, I don't, I don't know, because until you really hit it, you know, I mean, it could be a pretty miserable existence, oh, you know, yeah. but, but it's the same idea of like, it's, it's your chore, it's your living, you're not doing it for passion, you're driving and you're moving stuff and to play for an hour, maybe right. two hours, maybe three, if you're doing say, a long set somewhere or you're on the road. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's a serious occupational hazard of music, I think, is burnout and not enjoying this thing that you were really passionate about.
1: Well, and these are cover gigs you're talking about, though.
2: Yeah, You're when yeah, when I was when I was first here, yeah, that's what I was doing a lot of, and so those
1: can be soul suckers, yes, especially can be soul suckers, <laughs> especially yeah. if it's four hours and
2: four hours, and maybe you've got like a football game over your left shoulder, and uh, yeah.
1: How did you move from the uh, the grind of of trying to so make money as a as a cover artist into getting back into writing?
2: The way that went down was uh, let's see twenty. 15 I said all right that's it I'm not I'm going to get like a job and I'm not going to play these 3 and 4 hour gigs I'm going to do one a month I kept one one gig a month 3 hour gig at a place that the family all like to go and hang and and uh kept that and thought this is it I'm going to start writing songs and cuz I have all this extra time uh and th- the only time I'm going to play is when it's just me and then I didn't write any songs, and so, but it, but it was nice. It was a nice to just step back out of that that scene and 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 do something else for a while. And then, as 2016 came around, I'm looking at my date book and um, trying to think of of something a great you know to do. And I was starting a new job at a brewery uh, called Crooked Thumb Brewery, and they were set to open the doors January 1st of 2016 as you know seven days a week and so we started i started a songwriting group uh, that was going to meet every other tuesday at that point and uh, and i was going to set out a theme and we were going to write a song on it and i hadn't written a song in 10 years so uh, did
1: the tuesday night uh group at crooked thumb did that actually kind of kickstart your your writing or oh absolutely you, okay
2: yeah it, it it was a really really like right off the bat kind of deal where songs were coming out and I was just, you know, I forced myself to tap into that creative side of things and then it, it stuck around for long enough to, to have enough songs to do a full length. It's album. kind
1: of a useful technique for a while. I, I worked with a group that would pitch music for commercials and TV shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there was always that prompt, like it's, it's a mortgage commercial. So they want, you know, they want a song that's not talking about them, but they want a song that's talking about home. Yeah, right, right. So I ended up with all this stuff and wouldn't get picked up, but I'd have a s- snippet of a song mm-hmm. and because it's, you know, you're writing, oh, I got to write something really catchy and, you know, with a hook and, you know, so it was a useful way to kind of jumpstart your, yeah. your writing. So it's similar to what you're talking about. Like you have a, a mechanism in place that's actually helping you write material.
2: Yep. And and it, the the cool thing about, you know, putting it out there and actually having people show up is just to see, you know, the different places that, that people take these the uh, these themes and it's been really rewarding and so, interesting. So
0: whose idea was it to do that?
2: Um, uh, I mean, I th- I looked up, you know, what, what songwriters do to to get together with other people and kind of you know, based it off of a couple different things. So I thought that we would just, you know, put it out there and you know, it seemed like a good a good platform and nice social media and everything where we could reach a lot of people and So you just pitched it to the owners. Just pitched it to the owners before we even opened and and Kip
0: Kelly We should know we we, yeah. we should say yeah, we, we know the owners. We're yeah. big fans of Cricket Thumb. We've been yeah. there a few times as well. We're
1: actually drinking some of their beer right now. actually, yes, we are. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Ding.
0: You can't, see, you can't see Josh smiling, but he's just like a great set of smiling. There's a twinkle. Yep. Maybe he should capture that on the little uh, camera
1: there. And so it's still, I mean, now it's going strong four years later. Yeah, so. we're
2: into our fourth year now. And so it's kind of developed into um, and, uh, every week we meet. But uh, the themes where I'm challenging people to write a new song are, are still biweekly. And on the opposite weeks, I get featured songwriters in there. And we do like a Nashville in the round style.
0: So, has your process changed? Because you were like, oh, I'm going to write some original music. Like, that was pre-songwriter night. But then come songwriter night, I mean, you were cranking stuff out. At least, I was around, I mean, you'd started, and actually the same friend that got me playing again is the same friend that was at Cricket Thumb was like, hey, man, you got to come down here. They're doing this songwriter's night. You should come check this out. And um, when I did, I mean, by the time I joined on, I don't know if that was week three or week four. I mean, it hadn't been going on too long. No, it was very early on. Um, but, I mean, you were cranking out really good stuff every week, almost, or every other week.
2: Yeah, I was uh, just make, you know, finding the time, making the time cuz it was it was brand new at that point and it was like it's like super, you know, new motivation to like not let myself down and not show up without a song, which tends to happen from time to time now, but um no, the process really hasn't changed. For me, it's finding some time and and just picking up my guitar and Noodling and finding uh, finding a some chord change that I've never used before, or finding some little way of playing something, and then and trying to build a melody from there, and then tie whatever theme I'm working on. You know, I'll tie it in you know with that. Mm-hmm. If
0: we're, we're not going to we- let you off that easy. So you're listening to Neil Young growing up. What else are you listening to? Because uh, you've turned me on to some people. What I, am I listening I to, to now? No, we're growing up and then now, cool. like uh, yeah, and then now. Oh, I mean,
2: to. shoot. Uh, yeah, I listened to a lot of the same stuff my folks did, but then, you know, I found like I was like hair bands for a while, you know, just Which is ironic. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's very ironic. Yes, but I had long hair growing up as a kid if you can imagine that, and it was dark. Interesting. So, yeah. Now I get mistaken for like Shell Silverstein. <laughs>
1: I totally see that. I got my
2: I got my picture taken with a couple of guys in Texas because they were like,
3: "Man, anybody ever tell you, you look like Shell Silverstein?" <laughs> no,
2: who's that? Yeah. <laughs> well, never. He's yeah. my favorite poet, man. Um,
0: so. but your but your writing does not sound anything like a hairband. No, definitely so, I not. Mean, when you're listening to music now, I asked we had Jesse Terry on uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and we asked him the question of like. You know, because for me, it's there's stuff that I listen to that I will never write anything like that, but I really enjoy listening to. Like, I'm not going to sit down and write a Food Fighters tune. Right. You know? Like, I love the Food Fighters. Right. Um, but I will sit down and hear Andrew Duhon or John Fulbright, who's mm-hmm. somebody you turn me on to, and be like, okay, like that is getting, that's being, I'm being imbibed with that. Yeah. You know, so do you listen to stuff for fun? And then is there stuff you're listening to when you want to have a sparklet?
2: Uh, I never really put anything on when I'm, when I'm trying to get inspired. Um, Really, uh, usually when I listen to music, it's when I'm running. So usually I, I just pick something that, that uh, that's fitting my my feel for that day.
0: So, Jesse also had an interesting thing where he said he's got this like just books and books or like notebooks full of titles, like he's okay. writing to a title sometimes. Okay. Um are you somebody you start, and you said, you, right now you have a theme, because you're assigning it to songwriters night, but yeah. I, generally are you sitting down, like, is it, you've got some kind of words in your head, or you've got something you're trying to stick something to, or are you a music first kind of guy?
2: Yeah, mostly, mostly music first kind of, kind of guy, but yeah, it just depends. Like, a lot of times when I'm, like, doing gardening and stuff like that, like pulling weeds or whatever, that's when I'll, like, think of a line and then just, like, all right, let the weeds grow, I'm going inside to play guitar. The garden and, and, epiphany. Yeah, and, and then just try to try to work off of a phrase like that. It happens too, so.
4: Hmm.
0: And then, I, you know, one of the other things that's been really cool about the songwriter night, and Ed, I don't know if you had this with the, the jingle pitches, but you're not only getting a prompt, but you're also hearing everybody else's take on it, which is really cool. So it's sort of like, I don't know, book club's probably not the right word, but like everybody's approaching something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the same theme, so you're you're getting a bunch of other people's take, so you're getting inspiration without meaning to. Yeah,
2: you're getting inspir, uh, you know, home homegrown inspiration. What you know, friends that you can actually sit there and talk with, and like, wow, how did you th- how did you ever think like to tie that into you know, and it's just plus it's, you, it, you have that in your arsenal for next time. Like, right, your brain might fire that way. And oh. you
1: kind of hinted at this in what you were saying earlier, but it's the accountability also. Like, you know, you're going to be. In the circle yeah. with other talented people, mm-hmm. like I got to bring my game, you right? Know? Like I got to bring something worthy.
2: So every, yeah, and, and and anyone else can just not show up, but I have to be there. So yeah. like,
0: <laughs> you get to you're be there, you're guys. especially yes. yeah. uh, accountable. I yeah. get to be there to well, witness so It sees. It's interesting too. A lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people. There is a group of songwriters, and I think nobody's going to challenge me on this. That either writing for expression, you know, or they're writing to. you, it's a catharsis or therapeutic. Like, mm-hmm. is that some, maybe playing's therapeutic? But are you saying stuff in your songs that's personal? Are you like, what are you writing about? Are you is it personal experience? Are you telling stories?
2: Uh, definitely a little of both, you know. Because if
0: you pick a topic, you've got nothing relatable to then.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, I would try to keep them pretty, pretty vague. But yeah, are I mean, you
1: stacking the deck a little bit? Like, uh, I started a song about weeds yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe next week yeah I've already got something no
2: I, I, I haven't really done that uh, they always uh, the, the songs always come after the theme I never write the, or have an idea for a song and then just be like I'm going to make everybody else write a song about this too
0: so did you go into the songwriters night thinking this is a great way to help this brewery that I care about and that I have a job at and I like working at or like I really want to be doing something in music
2: yeah, no, it was. Uh, I, I thought it was a great way to try, to try to bring some people into this this new space that I was going to be working at, but also uh, create this accountability for myself and start to, uh, you know, transition into the artists and then recording artists and then, you know, actually feel like an actual songwriter when people are emailing you and telling you what what the songs meant to them and everything like that is pretty. It's like all right. This is why this is why I want to be playing music. So the groups, the this songwriting group started in in
1: 2015 or, or 20 yeah 2016 2016 yeah January and then when when so and then your your first official release what what year was that 2017? 2017
2: 2017 yeah. so in the early summer so we're all I,
1: this that's Mercy on the Strange that's Mer- your first yes. album of uh, original material
2: yes sir
0: which is crazy so I remember approaching you a few times like. And, Ed, I think you might have been there one or two times, and you certainly played one of the featured songwriters nights with me at Cricket Thumb with mm-hmm. Josh, but I had been hearing Josh for weeks, and I'm like, oh, my God, where where can I go hear this stuff? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm just making these up for this. Like, these weren't sitting there, you know? And so it started to get really frustrating because I'd want to hear these songs again, and I couldn't because <laughs> you didn't have a record anywhere. Um, but, like, did you have ambition to do that before I started forcing? <laughs> well,
2: I mean, I wanted to, but no, I, I, I certainly... Uh... Appreciate the gentle kick in the ass that you gave me to, yes. uh, and and
0: it was it was selfish for me because I really wanted to listen to the music. <laughs>
2: well, we we got there.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so I was going to say. I mean, it, it it occurs to me now looking back that that was a pretty quick transition. Like, it, and it's funny we were talking to also talking to Jesse where it's like, yeah, I started playing at nineteen. I was like, w- wait, what? You know, and same thing here. I you know I, again just kind of assumed that you'd been playing and chasing and recording off and on for the last two and a half decades. Yeah.
2: Nope. So that's,
0: we'll screw you respectively.
2: Well, no, it's kind of, (laughs) it's kind of a cool thing because, you know, I never, I didn't spend, you know, from the time I was 19 until the time I was 38 until I finally made a record trying to make it in the music industry. So I'm, I'm I'm not jaded, you know, I'm, I'm starting it out just like, all right, well, Now, now I'm going to try. And so,
1: you know, the other thing about it is like my wife and I are like downsizing. mm -hmm. So we recently like I had this bin full of old notebooks and just reams of song lyrics, you know, from my 20s probably. And so I finally decided, why am I keeping this? Like, I'm going to get rid of all of it. So we lit a fire in the chimney. Yeah, and we're like reading through <laughs> these lyrics, and I'm like, "This is all crap."
2: Really? So oh there's something God. to be
1: said for like waiting until you you have something, you know, to the ba- say the bad, pan- the bad <laughs> <Yeah>. pancake theory. <laughs> yeah, you've gotten through the bad <laughs> pancake phase, and you're you're making decent, you know, hearty pancakes. Right. So,
0: <laughs> well, I think is there something to be said too for like that gestation period, right, where you're absorbing life. Your songs don't sound contrived. They don't sound forced. Like you've seen things you've experienced more. You've sort of gone through the insanity of being a teenager and, you know, your brain chemically firing at all, all different directions. And, um, but also too, you've heard a lot of music too. So you start to be able to, you know, hone maybe like you just have more to pull from when you start to express whatever it is you're trying to express. So yeah, maybe you've got it figured out. Maybe we should just stop until, (laughs) until later.
2: Maybe. I don't know.
1: You well, know, you have a little more time to kind of like find your own voice too. Like you're not trying to come up with something equivalent to what you're you've been listening to. You kind of eventually grow into your own voice. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just a, a mimic of something you're into at the
0: moment. So. But again, generally most people have to churn out a bunch of I'll call it shit. <laughs> to really like get you know, really sharpen the the writing pencil and in and, and playing too, because you know you're a really good player. Like you have a really good touch, your nuance. Like, so were you self taught? I know you mentioned sitting in your yeah,
2: room. yeah, no, I definitely self taught on guitar. I took a I took a classical guitar class in college, and it just that just will screw you up. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're used to playing a certain way, uh, laid laid back on your couch hanging out, and then all of a sudden you've got to have your this foot up here and this foot down here, and your thumb right here, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. This This isn't playing guitar. Uh Yeah. So then that didn't really mess up my style. It just kind of was like, uh, this is, this has got to be easier for kids that have never played, played a guitar.
0: But then Josh, you've also gone to, I remember you told me you were going to a songwriters workshop. Um, Did you ever end up going to that?
2: Oh, I'm trying to think which one that would have been. It was
0: a guy that you really like? He's a guy you follow as a songwriter? Oh, no,
2: a- no. I haven't been to... Uh, I, it's Daryl Scott, I think, that you were talking about. I, I would so. love to do one of his writer's uh, nights. I, I don't know when his next one coming up is, but... Uh, it's a, I think he usually does it in Nashville, and it's a few, few days of uh, spending time working in groups and working on... Uh, even one-on-one with Daryl Scott and whoever he's working with there. So that would be really beneficial for me, I think.
0: And it's interesting how people, you know, will open you up to other stuff because I have two of my best friends, uh, husband and wife are artists and um, uh, Jimmy and Laura and Laura's been to a bunch of artist workshops. She's a visual artist. And, like, benefits greatly from those things. I would have never thought about going to a songwriter's workshop. I'm somebody that kind of just kind of flows out of, and I'm not the greatest songwriter in the world, but I've never had a problem cranking something out when I sit down. And then, you know, I remember, I feel like somebody had mentioned that those things take place. There's these songwriter shops. I'm like, ah, gosh, sort of the same idea you talked about with classical guitar. I'm like, I don't want to relearn something I've already sort of naturally learned and figured out and I'm absorbing on my own. But then going to songwriter's night, I've really benefited from that a lot. So it definitely... Reopened my mind to stuff like that. Um, and then also, like I said, talking to other people in other parts of the art spectrum that do benefit a lot from that. So, I, so I'm sorry that if I scoffed at it.
2: No, yeah, no, it's, it's everything that, that you can learn something from is worth doing, I think. so.
0: Wise words. Yeah. Definitely, definitely wise words. <laughs> so I approached you about making a record at some point cuz again I just really wanted to hear your music on a regular basis. Um did you have like were you feeling ambitious about like right. how, like you had to know that you were writing good stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean I I felt yeah, once we were you know to the point where we were ready to go into the studio, I felt like I had a handful of really, you know, songs I could get behind and uh and thought it was a really good start to to put, you know I waited that long for a reason, so I had these songs to put down and and uh, put some guys together and make it happen.
0: It, it was frustrating, actually, how easily they float flew, flew out of you. I mean, there's maybe one or two off weeks in like that first year, but you were basically cranking out a record-worthy song. Like, you know, if you wrote three songs, two of them were keepers.
2: I was trying, yeah. I had... So
1: a song like "Homesick Butcher's Blues," mm-hmm. just kind of one—I would say one of your signature tunes can can you listen back to that and think that do you know which week was there a prompt that initiated Uh, that song yeah
2: just the prompt for that one was
0: hmm. was it jobs or like labor or
2: yeah it might have been something it might have been work related yeah i really i wish i could remember
0: but it was one i think it was the first night i came to you'd been writing you were like in the parking lot writing it yeah yeah it was uh yeah
1: and it's funny i listened to that song and i think is this like somebody josh knows like his uncle or is this based on a friend of his or a family member Uh,
2: yes to all of those okay so yeah i you know when i when i wrote that song it's about working in a butcher shop and i just pictured myself back in the break room you know and uh there was a there was a lot of a great cast of characters that that worked in there <laughs> but uh i actually kind of based the characters in that song off of people i was working with at the time uh a couple of guys i was working with at the parks department and uh just the way that they talked and the things they said like you know you must be made of money that kind of stuff you know if you took one last vacation a month You wouldn't even need this job. You know, stuff like that. Like, I had a buddy, yeah, that would always harp on me because we were always going out of town. But if I had the time off, why not take it? You
0: You want to play that one for us?
2: Yeah, I can do that.
3: Well, you must be made of money, boy. Why are you even working here? I said the guy that ain't left Eleanor for fifteen some odd years. And he said when my ex was with me. We used to drive down to the shore And now I don't even go there In my mind anymore And he said, son, I'm here to tell you If I was standing in your shoes I'd be thinking less on traveling And more on paying dues And we're all in this together And it's hard to move it all With our noses to the grindstone And our backs against the wall And I've been working nights and weekends Saving up the cash to go See my family down in Florida And miss a week of cold and snow And I spent both damn shotgun weekends Skinning other people's deer And doing all I can to get there Just to find out I'm stuck here And I've earned ten days paid vacation That I thought was mine to use But I guess I'll stay in Springfield With these homesick butchers And we're all in this together And it's hard to move it all With our noses to the grindstone And our backs against the wall Get by next week without you And then the light up what you may Since the old man's son took over There ain't a man whose job here say We're all in this together And it's hard to breathe at all With our noses to the grindstone And our backs against the wall Trade your time off in at Christmas Like us corn-fed locals do Trade your work boots in on flip-flop And lose them homesick butchers
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about the uh, lyrical content of "Homesick," uh huh. Um, but you're pulling from a lot of different places there. It sounds like.
2: Yeah. No. I. Yeah, I. I am. I read. I read a statistic. I I talk about it a lot when I play that song. I read a statistic saying that uh, Americans were afraid to use their vacation time uh, more than a lot of other countries in fear they'd come back and find out that they they were no longer needed there. Like, Hey, we survived a week without this guy. We could probably get rid of him. So there, you know, people would like urge you, like, I wouldn't take a vacation if I were you, you know? And, and that sentiment, you know, is something that's kind of scary. So I just thought, well, I could dive into that and tie some of my work experience of working in a butcher shop and just tie it in. Like, uh, you know, I worked there with my dad. So my, you know, he, he liked that. He liked that song a lot. So, he knew some of the characters and he could really identify with that one.
0: And was the was the boss's son really a Mm. Yeah.
2: Player? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much.
1: Well, if he's listening to this podcast, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: Well my
2: my dad actually retired before the album came out, so Thank God. Yeah.
0: Man. Otherwise he'd have been forced into retirement. He might have been. Yeah. So you actually did you actually work at the butcher shop?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it a on and off for for a long time in my youth and early twenties and yeah.
4: Was it an
0: enjoyable job?
2: I mean, I can make the best out of anything. <laughs> uh one of the most interesting interesting things I remember doing there is uh during deer season, I'd bring the forklift around with a pallet on there and I think I could fit five fifty-five gallon drums on there. And they were all full of heads and hooves of oh. deer. And I would pull those on there and then back up and go to the dumpster and then, you know, lift the pallet up over the top of the dumpster and climb out on top and dump barrels at a time of heads and hooves into the dumpster.
1: See now I feel like we have to add a disclaimer at the top of this
2: uh episode,
1: uh, for you know, vegetarians and um you know, yeah. Members of
0: PETA a- animal rights, yes. Ranch, yeah specifically.
2: Yeah, maybe. Uh I...
0: that sounds like that would definitely uh numb a person in a way.
2: Uh, yeah. I guess you could say that. Uh <laughs> I still eat meat.
0: Well yeah. clearly not someone with a weak stomach.
2: What's that? Not, no, not with a weak stomach. Did it
0: make you question mortality?
2: <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Josh Riley, one of the deeper songwriters. Yeah.
2: No, it didn't. It was a, uh, it was definitely a way to pay the bills. You know.
0: I don't know. I haven't I haven't worked that job before. Well, you know, I'm from the Midwest <laughs> yeah, that's and like fair. this yeah. yeah, it was now a quick ditty about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Songdivers is proudly recorded in St. Petersburg, Florida. One of the reasons we love this area is due to how beautiful many of the homes and businesses are here. Well, many of those picturesque facades are due to the lush and tasteful work of Ryan's Green Design, one of the best landscaping and horticultural companies in the Southeast US. Their work can be seen from South Florida to South Carolina and on their social media channels. Whether it's updating your garden or a commercial retail center, getting a hold of Ryan's Green Design should be your first step. We can't wait to work with them on our next project, which we hope will be a new studio in our hometown. To see their work and get started on your next green space project, visit songdivers.com slash green for a free quote. And now back to the interview. So every reason to run, that's
1: a, one of your newest uh, songs, right? Or,
2: yeah. Or? Uh, no. I mean, I wrote it. It was out around the time of we wrapped up with mercy on the strange. It okay. uh, just right. didn't end up on there, but, uh, slated for the next one. Yes. Slated for the next one. And, um, uh, we don't have any solid plans in place for that right now, but we're stacking up some, some songs and I'm getting the itch and uh, more so uh, on than on the last album, the last album being my first studio experience, I really didn't know what to expect. And I didn't really have a clear vision for a lot of the songs going in as far as pre-production goes. And we just lucked out on the way it all came together.
1: I think it was kind of like I was only there for a couple of nights, I think and uh, but I thought one cool thing was that your brother uh showed up yeah and sang on t- a couple like one, yeah almost, one or two almost like, everything a, bunch actually, of them. a lot okay.
2: of the high yeah. harmonies uh yeah it was it was a thing like we're going into the studio this day to do some harmonies'd it be cool if you or it's a shame you couldn't be there and you know, and he's just like, well, what's the date and I told him and he was like. <laughs>
1: So he's still he lives up there in Illinois. Yeah, right? still. yeah, he's in yeah.
2: Illinois. So my older brother came down and and sang on that, and uh, I have a younger brother as well who's also involved in music and and writes and uh, sings.
0: I, we should say too of of that record. So like Josh said, there wasn't a lot of pre production worked out, but we had you know we had been planning to do our record, and the way Josh just sort of came about was you know, we'd been like, all right, we're going to do another record this when year. When you say our
1: record, you mean record, Mercy McCoy. Mercy McCoy
0: our, our band Mercy McCoy that Ed and I are in. Um, and we, we were both traveling a lot. The band was traveling a lot. We hadn't finished writing. And my dad actually said, you know, you, you've been planning to do a record. You haven't spent the time on yours, but why don't you help Josh put his record out? Because you've got a label, you've got a band of players that are ready to play and our drummer Dan gregory who plays a lot with mercy mccoy and has played in a lot of ed's groups um that we used on mercy on the strange um and yeah we ended up using a lot of our own mercy mccoy musicians on that record so it was still fun and it was you know it wasn't the brutal process that i think recording probably can be for other people um, depending on how you go about doing it because we had a lot of really great you know seasoned players that were used to playing and had been hearing the songs off and on because they are in our circles.
1: Right. You know? And I re- recently re-listened to it after having been away from it for a while. Mm-hmm. But When I knew you were coming in, I re-listened to it and I thought, you have just enough overdubs on that record. You know what I mean? It doesn't overpower right. your, your songs. So I think that helped too. And you had your friend flycatcher come in and do Fly catcher. Some of the electric guitar work he did on there, uh yeah which all sounded really tasty and great yeah and he a, did almost electric. all
2: the electric guitar on there i think yeah did you pick your own voice out of there you know what Yeah,
1: ed
0: sing harmonies
1: you know what I, I was listening to or watching the video for um now i'm on the spot and i can't oh what uh the pop song the it's really pretty you're, uh you're, summer's you're, come and gone summer's come and gone yeah am i on that I think uh Yeah. <laughs> Midway through the the video I'm thinking. This is such a pretty song. And I was listening to to the harmonies and I'm thinking <laughs> I sing I think I sang on this
2: <laughs> you song. <did>. That <laughs> was the one. I was at first second I was thinking it was Gibson Ten, but now that you're yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was the Oh the freedom of yes. The, yes
0: Yes. That's so, a great song. So how did it feel once you had the record like in your hand?
2: Uh I was so relieved, man. I, you know, I had a, a brief little tour, you know, lined up through the Midwest, house concerts, a couple of uh, music festivals and things like that. And just to have it in hand, in time, ready to go was was amazing. And it was like, all right, this is like major bucket list stuff. Like I have, I got a whole, a full, full length record of my stuff to, to share.
0: And since then too, so you mentioned at the top of the episode that you know, you just played Dripping Springs earlier what, earlier in the year or late late last year.
2: Yeah, late last year in October. Oh, tell us
1: about that. What What is that uh, festival all about?
2: That festival is all about the song. It's really, really a cool thing. So Dripping Springs, or as the locals call it, drip, is outside of um, Austin uh it's austin's growing towards it or it's growing towards austin austin texas not austin yeah. massachusetts right <laughs> right uh so those two are growing towards each other but uh it's was a wonderful wonderful community of people and a great list of songwriters from mainly texas tennessee uh and there was a handful of us from florida there was quite a contingent yeah. representing tampa bay yeah right? it was, uh, yeah so we had a great group there and it was just So how many
1: artists and how many days? Is I that think going? there was
2: maybe around 40 of us, 40 artists and it was basically scheduled for 2 days and then the Sunday is kind of a free for all okay. and and those that stuck around um we had a really good time that day. But uh yeah, it was five different venues all along a little street. The weather wasn't perfect but everyone was still out and
1: so how many sets did you do more than one set? or did Yeah, you I think
2: I think I did two the first day and maybe four the next day. Uh, so the, it was a great experience meeting some of these cool, cool songwriters. And some of them I was just floored by. And like, oh, my gosh, this guy's amazing. Love his music. Everyone's got to be listening to this. And then go to the Spotify. And there was like 11 followers. And I'm like, how is
0: this a thing? It is a thing, though. I mean, that's part of what this podcast is about, yeah. too, that there's so many talented people out there, you know, and, yep. you know, it's it's such a perfect storm of events that have to happen for the most talented people to get discovered, let alone people that aren't, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Was there time at the festival to, uh, in between performances and stuff, did they have any kind of opportunities to collaborate with other people or kind of, uh, it's not the kind of thing where they have like panels of people.
2: No. Okay. No, it's it's pretty loose. It's just uh, music. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just music. And each each stage had uh, you know, sound provided by bows and someone there turning knobs and you just basically filter in after the, the set before you and get comfortable with the people you're sitting around and uh and get and go. And we some of the rooms were like big like uh dance hall rooms and they would be full of people just chatting and going to town, going crazy. And then as soon as the music starts, boom. Oh, that's beautiful. Everyone's just listening to every word of everything. Cause that's, that's what this festival has been about the whole time. So, uh, praying I get an invite back because it was definitely, uh, one of the best networking things I've ever done, but just met some great, great people. And, uh, there and great music lovers there. So
0: Well, for the type of music that you are doing also, I mean, that is the type of venue everybody dreams of. You know, where everybody stops and listens to what you're yeah. saying because it is, you know, heavier lyrical content. And right. it's a very, again, nuanced style of playing and style of music. You right. Know, not, uh, a,
2: not a whole lot of grooves and uh, not a whole lot of repetition. And it's just, yeah. So the, the, if I can find a room where it's full of people and everyone's just listening, then that's definitely where I...
1: Let me ask you if you've uh, have you done any house concerts? Have you looked into that?
2: Yeah, that uh, no, so, I have done. I've done uh, quite a few of them. Uh, right, right when the record came out, we we lined up a string of them, and uh, I did a little research into you know what makes a good one because a lot of uh, the people that were hosting them for me were first time first oh, okay. time people, so yeah. which was cool. Yeah, um, because you don't have to have a lot of experience, you know, you just have to have, just have to have friends. You that, just have to have 10 or 20 friends that will yeah. pay 10 or $20 to sit down for, uh, you know, a couple 45 minute sets or however you, however you work it out. And that's it. So, so I,
1: these were dates that you were able to put together on when you went on your little tour after the, uh, um, yeah,
2: these were, the, these were dates I was able to use social media to say who would be interested in, and in having this. And then, a few people, uh, you know, chime in and then you just follow up with them and so firm it up. And it worked out well.
0: So for some of your songs, like you said, I know some of them you're writing for the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a house concert where people are really focused and it sounds like at a place like Dripping Springs or, you know, a more intimate venue where people are really listening, in. Are some of your songs super autobiographical and like, do you have anything that's heavy that in a, in a, venue like that you can get emotional about that are tough to play,
2: oh, I try to yeah to not uh, to not put anything out that's gonna that I'm not gonna be able to just perform at any given time you know And i i i you gotta distance yourself and be cryptic uh to some degree or else I don't know or somebody I, you know you're singing about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just whatever, yeah um you can. Be more. I guess you can reach more people's uh, thoughts and feelings if you keep it a little bit more general. So, uh, but you got to be writing about a real sentiment, but just you just got to be careful with your approach, I
0: suppose. So, as a as a listener, are you somebody that likes to know what songs are about? I mean, it's, it's I should say too, you're a little biased because it's your your craft also. But
2: yeah, but you'd be surprised how many times I hear a song that I've heard my entire life, and and I'm like, oh Jesus, that's what he's talking about. So like a lot a lot of it really is just what what makes a song stick in your head, and and everything is just the way that the melody fits in with the music and and stuff like that, and you can hear the words and they all fit and they all. All right, that was great. And then one, you know, you can listen to a song a million times and finally, me personally, I've made me just dense like that. And I'll be like, oh, wait, that's what that line's about. I never even realized they said that in this song. And then, then it kind of puts it all together.
0: Well, on, on the whole, I'd say I'm that type of writer also. I like to sort of paint in broad strokes and let people kind of fill in the color for themselves. But there's some songwriters that are very specific, right. you know, and, and are saying some very specific things. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, so Eddie Entricken, who plays a Mercy McCoy and who Ed grew up playing with, um, I, he said a couple times, he's a great lover of music, and he's a few times he's commented to me, he's like, I don't want to know what these songs are about. Like, I want to enjoy what I think they're about, and mm-hmm. I just want to enjoy hearing them. I don't want to know that you wrote about something that's actually way less special or meaningful. Exactly. And I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but so it's funny how some people want to know and they want to dive in and... Other people don't because maybe they hear it at the right time and it's the right lyric that they interpret the right way and it's just speaking to them at that time, you know? Yeah. And it, it can take the meaning away when you, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I, you wrote this about someone you love and you're like, it's actually about a cat. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that. I like the the broad strokes uh, thing. Like, uh, you, uh, you see that a lot with, like, Tweety's writing and stuff like that. You're just like...
0: Okay. You mean Jeff Tweedy from Wilco? Jeff,
2: that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I've never assassined down the avenue before, but he apparently has. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, it's just like you just you just hear these phrases that, that people put together and I like I like that. I don't I don't not every song has to be uh have a beginning, middle, and end, and it just where where everybody knows exactly what's happening. You know, I like I like the ones that leaves a lot of things up to interpretation
0: but you also too and you know and we'll have you play every reason i run here in a minute because okay. that's one of your newer ones that didn't make it onto the record so hopefully on the next one here but um when they hear that one of the, th- the lyrics will hear that i absolutely love is in the chorus you say loving her was like licking honey off a mile of barbed wire fence and yep. i just love that image it's such a juxtaposition like where did that come from? Did I, that, it just come out?
2: Yeah, that might have been one of those uh, weed pulling things where I'm just like working around the house, and I was like, "Well, that's a that's a borderline creepy metaphor." Uh,
1: <laughs> well, it's a song also about infidelity, right? Uh, yeah. So not
0: autobiographical. That was one of the that yeah. was one of the songwriter <laughs> nights.
2: Yeah, definitely. The cheating was a theme. You know, we try to we we were sticking to a lot of. Uh, Rootsy, you know, traditional kind of themes and so sinful, kind of, sinful themes. Yeah, murder, so, and cheating and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was just kind of a, a look into um, a look into a relationship, maybe where 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 someone's feeling unnoticed and where it can go from there. So it's more of like a it's a warning, like hey, you better love the love your lover or or else. They're going to find something better to do, I suppose.
0: I, I feel like that's, but it's also a very relatable lyric, too. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to something that's really, really sweet and good, but mm-hmm. also terrible at the same time. Right. You know, it speaks to like an unhealthy relationship. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway, I, I absolutely love that lyric. I'm looking forward to playing that one. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah. Would you mind playing that one for us now? Are you oh, ready?
0: Sure. All right. Okay. <laughs>
3: There was a time when I'd try to make you love me every day But you dance around advances And step aside from chances In a hauntingly honest, deliberate type of way And I felt unnoticed I know you've known this all along On, oh, babe, it's like you've cashed in every ounce of passion and left me with no other choice but to go and do you wrong. I started mixing love and danger and search of something more intense and love. Off a mile of barbed wire fence And you're every reason I run It didn't have to be this way But you're every reason I run Every reason I'm in her We're past the point now Where I'd consider turning back oh, Cause there's no way to mate Every little heartbreak oh, Let's just roll the credits, babe And fade to black But I still remember when Our love was something to behold Over now, it seems you only long to leave me lonely. What were you expecting when you turned so cold? I started mixing love and danger. Her arms and your every reason I run. It didn't have to be this way, but sure, every reason I run. Every reason.
2: a that's a little bit lower than I normally play, so that actually felt good. Maybe it's the sitting. Yes, yeah, so well this is a comfortable space. This is you know, it's
0: a therapy session as much as it is a you know a critical endeavor to look at songwriting. So soul, soul yeah. writing.
2: I feel like that's I am I'm, I'm on the couch like you know like the patient but you can you, recline
1: we, if you want. You yeah. want to lay it,
2: Yeah. Lay Let me put my feet up. Because we're uh, about
1: to go into some real
0: personal stuff now.
2: Uh- Usually the... Uh- <laughs> like your
0: prison time, for example. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. The time I did in Joliet. Yes.
0: You did go a little Johnny Cash on us, though, because one of the themes was, I believe, was criminals, right?
2: Yeah. That was, long, uh, that was one of them.
0: And you wrote another one of my favorites for that, which is She Knows a Man Can Change. Yeah. Which was such a cool take. And is on your record it was a cool take on the theme. Again, I think that I think the song was like criminal or like crime. It
2: was, I think it was, yeah, criminal was was the theme.
0: So a lot of us talked about, you know, all kinds of different stuff that most people would go to. And Josh wrote about the women that fall in love with with prisoners. Like from, from afar, like seeing yeah. them in the paper.
3: Well, she clipped the headline, the is name. And she keeps the letters that he I'd be ready. Never did I have you here to hold me at the end of every day. They keep you locked away.
2: races, "Baby." You know, I watch a lot of prison TV. Like when <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I watch TV, you're
1: watching the prison channel.
2: Yeah, pretty much. When I when I do watch TV and I've got like it to myself, I'm like, all right, let's see what's happening in in uh, Brushy Mountain, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just you know I'm interested. It's a, it's 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 just a whole other world. Is and, that where uh, that
0: came from, though? From being aware of that stuff through prison. <laughs> Prison T V. <laughs>
2: Pretty much. Uh, yeah. So that's uh,
0: not autobiographical.
2: No, no. I haven't done any uh any any a hard time. Hard time.
0: Some soft time. <laughs> yeah.
2: Everybody does a little soft time. Yeah. But uh <laughs> no, yeah, but it does come up a lot in my writing. Uh be, just because I don't know. Uh maybe maybe a prisoner will hear it someday and feel and a little better about themselves for that day cuz I don't know it's just we, we tend to forget those guys and and ladies mhm mm-hmm. and, but- and it's a whole I've you know I've worked with people or I've I've had people that worked in the prison system that have heard that song and be like man how do you how do you know about, you know like I I used to open mail or listen to calls and and that was my job but like and it's always uh, either I love you by the way, where's my money? Or I hate you, where's my money? Like, it's just all, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it introduces a whole different uh, aspect into writing a relationship song if you throw some concrete and barbed wire in there.
0: What, would you say that there's a theme through a lot of your songs? Like, maybe the topics change, but are you focused around, I mean, it's a lot of people write about relationships. I'm often getting the critique of like, I mean, I write, write about something, not a relationship. But I feel like that's, so relatable to so many people. I'd say that
2: uh, I've been asked that before and I've put a little thought into it. And looking back on, um, you know, most of the songs I've written, uh, there is a lot of despair and, and, and things like that in them. But I try to at least get a little, light of hope in there somewhere. Ray Sunshine. Yeah. I don't know
1: how prevalent it is, but when I was listening back, I was kind of noticing a few threads and one of them was, there's a strong sense of place in some of your songs. Okay. And along with that, sometimes it goes hand in hands with, with being stuck. Like, okay. the, like the homesick butchers blues kind of stuck in your job, stuck in Illinois. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that maybe Memphis was another one where I felt like kind of like maybe another place, like,
2: yeah, No. you know, I mean, trying to
1: find a place and, or, or maybe kind of being stuck in a
2: place. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And I think that, it's it's a good thing to write about because a lot of people get that way and feel that way.
1: Move on. is another one. Yeah. Pick on. up and move on. Yep. You know, That's true. You know,
0: like... Well, and places can be very, like you can tie a lot. It's things happening in that place. It becomes a, you know, symbolic and you attach a lot to a place. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people that pick up and quite literally move on to somewhere else just to leave it all behind and, you know, try to move on from those things. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is, It is really interesting. You know, there's a lot of songwriters too. A lot of the stuff I listen to where, you know, you can hear them sing about a specific place and you can, same thing. It's very referential and very, very tied to a specific place. And you, you know, it's like you come back to that town you see some of the signs and it starts bringing back all these reminders and flags of stuff you're trying to forget, maybe. Right. Yeah.
2: No, that's a, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good observation. And maybe I'll, uh, Next time I I put my my pen to paper I will try to avoid that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's worked out great for you. So no, far. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, but it's like okay. I don't mean it in the sense that you've you know mined that vein too often. No, I no, just no. Think I it's, understand. That. It's yeah, it's a good thing if you have a persona or a, like a point of view, right? That's no, no, of, no, you're
2: yeah. totally right. But
0: yeah. yeah, when you sort of you know it. This comes a little from knowing you, but from listening to the song so much too. It's almost like some of these places have a specific person or a relationship tied to them, and a lot of them, you know, um, like I feel like Lorena, probably not her actual name.
2: No, and and not even a really a real situation. That was that was a song that was just like a, I have no idea what's going on right now. I just picked up my guitar and started, uh, and. That's as close to a groove as I ever gotten, right? In and, the, song. and the song sounded <laughs> and like so, Marina. And so I just, yeah. And I went and I was like a maybe 2324 24 year old kid uh, living in an apartment and, and just like wrote that song and then went down to this uh, open mic down the street. I was living downtown so I could just walk down the road with my guitar and I plugged in and played it and actually I had a recording i don't know it's probably somewhere actually i threw away every cd that i've ever owned one day uh but so i probably don't have that uh but a friend what do you, of mine what
0: do you, mean you threw away every cd you ever owned?
2: did god tell you to do that uh <laughs> no i think it was that that lady on netflix that uh tells you to get rid of stuff that you don't okay uh no, no uh is that it, why you're not wearing pants Yes, I did not have any pants that I loved enough to keep.
1: Nice tattoo on your. Uh, <laughs> that brought you no
0: know right. joy, right?
2: So no, that's that. Uh, I just one day was like, you know, what, I would never listened to this stuff, and it's just taking up space, and everything is digital. Everything is digital, and or I can just I can find any of this online. So I just
0: except your original recording. Yeah, except that's for twenty-four that one.
2: year old you doing Lorena. I bet you my mom's got a copy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she does uh but it, yeah, so uh that was just a, a fictitious kind of real broad general look on
0: uh cheating
4: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm
0: what do you look like who's your favorite artist right now like who do you listen to when you're listening to stuff right now?
4: oh man, uh
2: lately I have been listening to let's see just in the last couple of days, I've been listening to a lot of Elvis Costello oh, yeah. Yeah. But as far as um you know, people that are maybe who else am I to? I listen to a lot of John Moreland, uh oh, yeah. John Fulbright, mm-hmm. um Isbel. We gotta we gotta listen when he says anything.
0: Do you listen to a lot of new music? Like do you search for new music actively?
2: Not really. No. I mean I mean, yeah, when it, I I find it a lot and, and I'll and I'll dive or it finds somebody. Yeah, or it finds me. Um but, yeah, I just, I'm pretty random when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, and I do a lot of running. So a lot of my music listening time is is then. And, you know, I listened to Miles Davis the other day, listened to the whole Bitches Brew mm. while on a pretty long run, 10-mile run, and um, that was awesome. They had my mind just firing, in like, 100 different directions. And I'm like, wow, sometimes you don't need to say anything. You know, like, and sometimes I'll just run – with no music and, and really let my mind work, but that that way was that that was a different route altogether. With the
0: ba-da-da, you know, just like oh
2: yeah, going through the city and I looking at the stuff. Yeah. Oh my god,
0: I have a bunch of his vinyl right in the other room there.
2: Yeah,
0: you know it's funny too. Thinking about stuff like Miles Davis, but even the Beatles for me recently.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, going stuff. I you know I grew up, my dad playing the Beatles all the time, and you know seeing Ed play and, and all of our friends and family that played playing Beatles stuff. And then, you know, now being older and you know you mentioned being a singer-songwriter, really starting in your 30s almost, like yeah. really getting serious about it. But like I hear stuff so much differently now. When I go in and listen and I'm like my brain's just melting happily listening to, <laughs> you know, Sgt. Pepper when they just re-released that and it was oh, yeah. like so incredible to go and hear that now, you know, years later after I've been hearing it almost literally my whole life. Right. Um so I, again, I think there's something to Doing something for a while, taking a step back from it and then coming back to it and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at it, even with just a more seasoned lens or a more experienced lens um, that you're able to appreciate things about it that you didn't notice before um, or, or that you didn't know to notice before, you know, because maybe you, you learn something new or you realize somebody was playing a certain way. And so you start to notice that when other people are doing it the same way. And like your friend buys a new car and then you see that car everywhere, you know.
2: Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a, the, the cool thing about waiting so long to put out an album is uh, strategically waiting. Yeah, strategically, I long. did. I, I didn't want to do something uh, recorded in my buddy's uh, basement, which there's a lot of great stuff. But you know, when when I first was getting opportunities to to do that, it wasn't the best equipment, and I didn't want to put all my you know heart and soul into something that was like I'm gonna print one of these on my mom's computer, and then I'm gonna draw. Which there's something to be said for that. But I I wanted to like have stacks of plastic wrap
4: <laughs>
1: tangible. Of you yeah. want something tangible. Yeah. Well, and you went to uh, we should say Zen recording with the great Steve Connolly. Yes. So
0: That was a, not a bad place to start. No, that was a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, you so. did it right. You had, you had the privilege of of uh, of us using a bunch of the the resources that we'd been using that we had. Uh, been very frustrated by years and years ago that we've now fine-tuned and flattened out, uh, mm-hmm. plus we had Steve, so yeah, that was a fun experience. That really was. Um, how about favorite gig you've ever played?
2: Oh, man. Uh, you know what? I, I really had a good time opening uh, up for Anders Osborne at The Attic in Ybor City, because uh, I love his music. I've loved it for a long time, but then he was just super gracious, and we had a great time beforehand uh, sound checking and hanging out in the in the green room and we actually got we're just jamming back there I actually got to uh help his guitar tech put his his pickup back in because they were doing some switching around so i was elbow deep in his guitar <laughs> and, and we were jamming and uh ended up he called me back up on stage during his set and jammed one of my songs with me and then i got to jam on one of his with him and oh, that's so cool that's so awesome it was pretty unprecedented i was like oh my gosh
0: well you recently played with john mccune yep. a, yeah yeah dirty dirt band as well
2: yeah i did i got to open for john down and uh right here in st Pete, yeah the hideaway and he had a great crowd and 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 a great group of people playing with him that night so very you just
1: mentioned two local just really great rooms that we're so fortunate to have here the Hideaway in St. Petersburg and the Attic in Tampa like
2: we are very very fortunate to have them and uh it's it's one of the and we have WMNF so that's like the trifecta of of really cool uh just to start uh of aspects of living and playing in this area you know and you don't want to you don't want to oversaturate and play too many shows in one area but man we have some really good Got a lot of really good, good spots. You got a go.
0: good system here, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I should say, you're playing the upcoming Gasparilla Music Fest, which is a really cool festival that takes place here in the Tampa Bay area. Yes, um, it's booked by Broken Mold, and they're a great group that put a lot of great stuff together here. Um, but I mean, Everett Brothers, yeah, that's a, Lucas Nelson, uh, yeah, a lot of big names. Gar- on that Clark- Gary Clark Jr. Jr. Gary Clark Jr. Yeah, let's not forget. Yeah,
2: that's a that's it's great. To, you know, like this is when I when I was gigs like that is so like when people from my hometown and my cousins and stuff start texting me like, dude, you're playing on the same, you know, stage as These guys are the same venue. And it's like, yeah, a mm-hmm. little, little validation. Yeah, yeah, no, Feels no big good. deal. No big deal. Yeah. So no, it's also, really, it's
0: really exciting. So how about, how about goals for the next record?
2: Goals for the next record would be to, yeah, just be having a lot more pre-production done uh i'd like to do at least a handful of the songs live off the floor with with musicians i think that'd be fun just to to work that way instead of piecing things together uh i'd like to work with some some different instrumentation maybe you know i had violin uh, or fiddle on on uh one of the track but i'd like maybe like a string section maybe uh on a couple of things but as far as, yeah i mean as far as the next record i want it to be better than the first and i want to i want it to reach further i think that's a, kind of the goal that everybody has um i think that waiting and doing mine the way i did basically to get to get the attention that i that i want to get out of the next one, I think you kind of have to have that basis that you got to have one in the books and then, all right, coming back and you know, a little yeah, have bit, a catalog. Yeah. And you know, a little bit more about, you know, who to reach out to and when, uh, try to get press on it for, before it comes
0: out. And well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, that's definitely probably something that's going to be interesting to people listen to this interview is probably a lot of people at the same stage you're at that are great songwriters that have had a little bit of success. I'd say you've had a lot of success, um, but maybe they've had a little bit of success, but you know, like what specifically are things that you think you want to definitely do different or your things like, oh, man, I really wished I'd done more of this or, um, things along that line. Yeah,
2: no, I, I just want to make sure that, uh, make sure that I'm happy with like, there's you know, there a lot of songs on the, on this one that, uh, on the first one that, yeah, I like the song, not, and I wasn't 100% in love with the way we recorded or whatever. Mm-hmm. The next one, I want to be a little more hands-on and and know. I want to shape that sound before we ever even just you know we kind of built we kind of built the sound piece by piece the last time, and we were all kind of seeing what it sounded like as it came together. I want to I want to have a clearer vision on on that coming in, and then yeah, just uh, focus on on maybe jumping on with uh, uh, an artist that's doing a substantial tour instead of just piecing together my own thing.
0: What another question for you, how about some uh, opportunities you didn't take that you wish you had?
2: Well, when my brother had uh, a club that he was running in, in Springfield called Andiamo, it's this, this little uh, coffee shop and we did an open mic and stuff up top, but then there was a room downstairs called Charlie's club. And every once in a while he'd book a, a touring artist through there. And we had a, a guy by the name of Eric Taylor there, and he was—he's uh, a Texas songwriter. He was a contemporary with Towns and Steve Earle and all those guys. And uh, so I was really excited about the show. And I had a wedding rehearsal dinner that night, so I ducked out of that just a little bit early and started heading down the stairs to go see this concert. And I don't hear anything. I don't hear anybody down there. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I come around the corner and there, everyone in the crowd is just staring at him and he's just like tuning his guitar or putting a capo on and everyone is just waiting for him to do something. And I was like, really impressed with the way that he just had this room and uh, ended up, he put on a great show and we stuck around afterwards and, there was whiskey involved, and this guy named, uh, I think his name was Ben, he had this great, big, awesome guitar vault in his house, and he went and like grabbed some of the real great humdingers and brought them down there, and we all sat around, uh, a handful of us just sharing music with this, this Texas songwriter and having a really good time. And uh, towards the end of the night, he's like, all right, well, let's go, Josh. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we got a show in Ann Arbor or whatever he was heading off to next. You're coming with me. And I'm like, oh. I had this Midwest work ethic thing that I talked about a little before uh, where I had probably three jobs and and it was just logistically like I can't just go out of town right now. I I I would have to answer to all kinds of people. So I I, I neglected to, to join him. Uh, and it was a couple years later I was in Chicago, maybe even more than a couple years later, uh in Chicago to see Lou Lovett uh at the Chicago Theater for my birthday. So good. Oh, uh, it was so good. And he tells this story sounds strikingly similar to the one that I just told you guys where how he was playing a show or he met Eric Taylor one time and they played, <laughs> they played some music together and he hopped in Eric's truck and started doing some shows with them. And then he married Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Immediately <laughs> after. Yeah. yeah That's how the timeline He went. became Lyle Lovett. Yeah. He became, he became, became Lyle Lovett first. Yeah.
0: I guess he was probably always Lyle Lovett.
4: Yeah.
2: But no, it. you know what I mean? It's just did Julia
0: thing. How long did that last? Though? It didn't
2: last. It didn't last. I think that she's...
0: Longer than it lasted with me.
2: Ooh. Yeah. She, uh, I think she got famous off Loving Lyle. Yeah, she's not talented has got He's got a whole lot more to claim, you know.
0: (laughs) Now. Says the musician, yeah. 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 Well, Josh Riley, we appreciate you doing this with us, man. We love you. We love your music. Appreciate you you doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to Shay, too. Thanks for bringing her with you. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Well, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, fellas.
2: Yeah, Appreciate
0: it. You've been listening to Song Divers.
1: Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own. And songs we heard in this episode are Seven Shot Revolver, Homesick Butcher's Blues, Every Reason I Run, she Knows a Man Can Change, and Summer's Come and Gone, all written by Joshua Riley.
0: Thank you to Joshua Riley for coming by the studio. If you want to hear more of Josh, catch him on tour, or book him for house concerts and private events, visit joshuiiley.com. That's Riley, R E I L L Y. You can find Josh on iTunes and Spotify, and keep up with him on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, the
3: stars are low and bright. It seemed when July comes to
1: How do you think he did? I think everything
2: he said was complete bullshit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Songdivers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood
4: district of St. Petersburg, Florida.